You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. DPRK threat actor Kim Suki uses a Chrome extension to exfiltrate emails, while Scarcroft prospects South Korean organizations. Hacktivist claims of attacks on OT networks may be overstated. Ghostwriter remains active in social engineering attempts to target Ukrainian refugees. Joe Kerrigan has cybercrime by the numbers. And our guest is Christian Sorensen from SiteGain with analysis of the cyber effects of Russia's war. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. Researchers have been flagging a great deal of North Korean cyber espionage at midweek. Here are some of the reports that have been coming out. The German Constitutional Protection Agency and the Republic of Korea's National Intelligence Service have issued a joint advisory describing a spear phishing campaign by North Korea's Kim Suki threat actor, also known as Thallium or Velvet Kolima. The threat actor is targeting experts on the Korean Peninsula and North Korea issues via a malicious Chrome extension and malware-laden Android apps. According to Bleeping Computer, the attacks use spear phishing emails to trick the victims into installing the Chrome extension. After it's installed, the extension can exfiltrate emails from the victim's Gmail account. Kim Suki is also using an Android Trojan called Fast Viewer, which was first observed in October 2022. Bleeping Computer explains, The malicious app the attackers request Google Play to install on the victim's device is submitted on the Google Play console developer site for internal testing only, and the victim's device is supposedly added as a testing target. The advisory adds that since the technology exploited in this attack can be used universally, it can be used by foreign affairs and security think tanks around the world, as well as unspecified people. In the second round of reports, researchers focus on North Korea's APT-37 threat group, 
APT-37's name is, of course, Legion. It's also known as Reaper, Starcruft, and Red Eye. Whatever the name it's being tracked under, APT-37 has been observed in action against South Korean targets. The OnLab Security Emergency Response Center analysis team has observed activity from the APT-37 threat group conducting cyber espionage against individuals within South Korean organizations in February and March of this year. Researchers from Sequoia report that the group distributes the Chinato PowerShell-based backdoor, which gives the actors fully-fledged capabilities to control and exfiltrate sensitive information from the victims. Mandiant researchers have observed a trend in which hacktivist groups are increasingly claiming to have successfully attacked operational technology— That's OT, technology that monitors or controls industrial equipment, processes, and events. The trend crosses political commitments and allegiances, but in general, Mandiant finds that the claims of success have been exaggerated, as have claims on the part of hacktivists to disinterested independence of state influence or direction. On the other hand, there do seem to be signs that hacktivist groups are trading information on OT systems— and that they've exhibited a growing technical familiarity with such systems' vulnerabilities. Mandiant writes, Hacktivism leverages cyber threat activity as a means to convey political or social narratives. As such, any attempts to inflict damage on a victim may only be a means to this end or one of multiple objectives. Historical hacktivist activity has largely focused on simpler attacks that are intended to get the attention of broad audiences— such as website compromises or denial-of-service attacks. And attacks against OT are seen as providing the kind of high-profile, attention-getting effect the hacktivists desire. The report concludes and summarizes, In 2022, Mandiant observed a significant increase in the number of instances where hacktivists claimed to target OT. While we observed activity across different regions, Most of these cases were conducted by actors that have mobilized surrounding the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The implication of this is that the increase in hacktivism activity targeting OT may not necessarily become consistent over time. However, it does illustrate that during political, military, or social events, OT defenders face a heightened risk. The Ghostwriter Threat Group, which has specialized in influence through impersonation, has resumed a campaign in which bogus emails misrepresenting themselves as originating with the governments of Latvia, Lithuania, or Poland are hitting the inboxes of organizations working with and on behalf of Ukrainian refugees. The content of the emails warns that the Ukrainian government is about to undertake mass conscription of military-age men with the intent of feeding the conscripts into combat against Russia. Bloomberg writes... Ukrainian men of military age, the emails warned, were scheduled to be rounded up and sent home. They would then be forced to fight against Russian troops, according to a supposed agreement between Ukraine and its allies. People who received the emails should immediately provide personal information and any known whereabouts of Ukrainians living nearby, the messages said. The goal is to inspire fear and mistrust. Mandiant attributes Ghostwriter to Belarus, Russia's one reliable ally in its war against Ukraine. The Atlantic Council convened a group of experts to assess the cyber phases of Russia's war so far and to see what lessons might be drawn. 
In some respects, the conclusion is the familiar one. Russian performance has fallen far short of pre-war expectations. This is by now a more than twice-told tale, but it's worth reviewing again, if for no other reason than how surprising it's been, not only to Russia's victims and adversaries, but to Russia herself. Russian influence operations proved to be unprofessional, sloppy, and without much engagement on respective platforms. Ukraine's communications infrastructure proved surprisingly resilient under cyber attack. Internationally, corporations have concluded that doing business in Russia is a bad bet, and that seems to represent a long-term trend. And Western governments should trim their expectations about how devastating offensive cyber campaigns are likely to prove. More on this topic in my conversation with Christian Sorensen from SightGain later in the show. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan has cybercrime by the numbers. Our guest is Christian Sorensen from SightGain with analysis of the cyber effects of Russia's war. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Christian Sorensen is CEO of cybersecurity firm SightGain and previously served in the U.S. Air Force and with U.S. Cyber Command. I checked in with him for insights on the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and the ongoing perception that when it comes to cyber, Russia continues to underperform. Cyber is just one part of that campaign. Um, and often, uh, once you get into a fighting war, it's uh, less applicable. Um, there's just fewer opportunities or 
harder opportunities uh, to make an impact. And in terms of expectations, it has has Russia lived up to their reputation and what, what we expected them to be capable of? I think so far it's fair to say they have not, but it's also fair to say they probably haven't used um, all of their different techniques. They, they've certainly focused their efforts on Ukraine. Um, so the larger partner community, alliance community has not generally been affected. Um, so that's, that's certainly by design, but also um, there may be efforts that are laying in wait. I'm, I'm reminded of UK's warning recently or, or over the last six months of pre-positioning for uh, denial of service attacks. Um, so they, they saw an uptick in um, preparations and ability to execute those denial of service attacks, but there was not any that were actually conducted um, as of yet in, in, in the UK by Russia. Yeah, it seems as though uh, when it comes to the allies and, and uh, folks who are supporting Ukraine, that um, what they've experienced has, hasn't really risen much beyond the nuisance level. Yeah, that's correct. And, and you're seeing kind of hacktivists and traditional or normal criminal activity. Um, and that's probably one of the lessons that we've seen is it's, it's pretty hard to make tactical impacts in a fighting war or a kinetic war via cyber means. Um, much more useful for espionage, for strategic efforts um, and uh, traditional criminal, criminal efforts as opposed to uh, really direct battlefield contributions. Is there anything that, that is surprising that, that we've learned from this war when it comes to cyber? I think the fact, going back to your first question, there hasn't been as big of an impact um, has been surprising. The fact that there's deployed defenders um, and a lot of partnership um, with Ukraine to prepare, right, to, to prepare for known techniques. And then when something new or novel does come up, it's localized, right? It's effective in one place or a few places, but then um, that intelligence of here's what happens, here's how to, to defend against it is shared quickly. And then other areas are then ready for it and, and prepared for it. So it doesn't spread. Um, and uh, and that, that's been surprising too. Oftentimes the defenders are not as responsive or uh, ready for those attacks. So those, those preparation activities have, have seemed to have paid off. And, and what are the lessons that uh, nations can take from this in terms of preparing their own defenses or even their offensive capabilities? Yeah, let me, let me handle that in, in two different answers. So on the defensive side, it, it really comes down to preparation. We know the techniques that are being used, um, not only in this war, but uh, often. And, and it's incumbent upon defenders to practice against those, to be ready to defend against those and not, not just patch, but know that you're ready to defend against the techniques that are coming your way. And then share intelligence. If something new happens, right, you're going to make uh, corrections, but other people sh should benefit from, from that uh, insight. And then on the offensive side, it really comes down to um, taking stock of what you really have in terms of capabilities and where those capabilities could make the most impact and knowing what that is. You, you don't have to know or you don't have to let the 
potential adversaries know what that is, but um, cyber seems to be a long game, right? Where espionage really matters. Um, the U.S. had great insights into what Russia was planning, where those insights came from. Uh, cyber probably contributed to that. Um, but where it can make the most impact has to be weighed carefully and then uh, used wisely. And based on what we've seen over the past year or so, how do you think that informs what we might be in for in the immediate future as you look toward the horizon? So I think it's important to um, recognize we don't know everything yet as far as the techniques that could be used, the pre-positioning that has already been accomplished. So we don't know all of the tools that would be used, just like Russia hasn't deployed all of their weapons or used all of their weapons. It's been pretty contained to the Ukraine battlefield, but that doesn't have to be the case, right? So we, we should continue to pay attention to not escalating on the policy side and abide by what we're learning are the red lines, abide by really what, what would escalate things and making sure we're, we're being very careful with, with what we do as well as um, the other side, uh, Russia, to be careful about what they do vis-a-vis uh, -vis the rest of the world, right? So um, that part is really, really important. And then um, continued vigilance, right? We have to continue to learn what's being used and uh, respond to that, especially on the uh, protection of data and, uh, and criminal side uh, to protect operations from being shut down. That's Christian Sorensen from Sightgain. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, this article caught my eye, written by our buddy across the pond, Graham Cluley. <laughs> yes, uh, Graham. He wrote this for the Bitdefender blog, and it's titled, FBI reveals that more money is lost to investment fraud than ransomware and business email compromise combined. Let's dig in here. What unpack what's what uh, what Graham is laying out here for so, us? So, what Graham is talking about is the uh, this is a report from the Internet Crime Complaint Center, the IC3, yep. which is uh, I think run by the FBI here yep. in the United States, yep. and they have a chart of investment losses reported to the IC3. Now, mind you, these are losses reported to the IC3. Mm -hmm. These are not losses as a total, right? But in 2021. Losses were just under $1.5 million. Uh, it, that's in total investment fraud, and that includes— $1.5 billion. Sorry, $1.5 billion with a B. Right. My apologies. <laughs> and that includes almost a billion, with another B, in uh, crypto investment fraud. Okay. Now, that fraud in 2022 jumps to a total of almost $3.5 billion. Wow. With crypto— topping more than $2.5 billion hmm. fraud. Wow. Uh, so it's obvious that crypto fraud is, cryptocurrency fraud is the lion's share of this. Mm -hmm. uh, other portions are actually uh, real money fraud mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, where they're, they're taking fiat currency that is actually, you don't need, all you need to do is launder it. Yeah. Uh, and I'll bet, I'll bet at some point in time that involves buying cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, but really what's, uh, there's another table in here that's really interesting about the uh, 
the losses, victim losses by crime type, and it has investment fraud at $3.3 billion. Directly below that is the old King of the Hill mm. business email compromise at $2.7 billion. So still very profitable. Wow. And then all the way down the list, almost to the end of the list, is ransomware at $34 million. A very small amount in ransomware is being uh, reported to the uh, – in uh, ransomware losses being reported to the uh, – to the uh, IC, IC3. Yeah. So even if that number is off by a factor of 10, mm-hmm. investment scams are still 10 times higher than that. Right. <laughs> so right. the investment scam losses are 100 times bigger than the ransomware reported losses. Wow. Uh, that's that, interesting. That, that surprises me. It surprises me too. This is shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on here. I, I guess... You know, we've been talking on Hacking Humans about the, the pig butchering scams right. that have been happening. These are a combination of romance scam and crypto scam. Mm-hmm. So you start with a uh, with with a relationship that you build up with somebody romantically. Mm-hmm. And then you at some point in time, you introduce the idea that you're a crypto investor. And, hey, I can help make you money. Yeah. And even at, at some point in time, these guys wind up giving money back to, to the people they're trying to scam. And it might not be an insignificant amount of money. Like, hey, I put $1,000 in. Hey, look at that. Your money doubled. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let me try to withdraw that money. Here you go. <laughs> and they get their $2,000 back. And that costs the scammers a lot of money. But what almost invariably happens is people start putting more money back into this thing. Right. And then uh, eventually they, they put in a substantial chunk of their life savings, either all of it or as much as they're willing to risk on crypto, uh, cryptocurrency. And these guys exit the scam. Once they think they've got all the money, they just take the money and run. Or once you start asking back uh, for for your money back when it's more than they're willing to give you, that's when they take the money and run. Yeah. It really seems as though this stuff continues to trend in the wrong direction also. I mean, Graham points uh, that out. This chart that tracks these losses over time is like a hockey stick chart. It's scary. In two years, this has grown 10 times bigger Mm -hmm. than it was two years ago. Yeah, there's there's like $10 billion lost to different cybercrimes. Every year, that is according to the uh, the IC three. Yeah, so this is distinctly American losses, mm-hmm. right? Because somebody in England is not going to report losses to the FBI. They're going to call Scotland Yard or somebody else, <laughs> right? Right. And these are the reported losses. Mm-hmm. So this is just a small fraction of the uh, of of the cybercrime economy. It's the reported American crime, yeah. and it's around ten billion dollars. I uh, to me, I, I think. I think it it strikes me as being useful for for a relative comparison. Correct. Right. To the, see what the biggest threats are right now. Yeah, and how much bigger they are than others. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I once again I, I say, relative to the amount of attention it gets, certainly in cybersecurity circles, I'm surprised to see ransomware as far down on the list as it is. Perhaps it's that ransomware is is underreported. Uh, it could be that ransomware is underreported. It could be that ransomware is getting less effective yeah, as true. our defenses get up because this used to be a much larger problem. Right. We've had people over on Hacking Humans who said that over the past couple of years, ransomware gangs have been broken up. The takes have been going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are less willing to pay for uh, ransom when they have backups and they know that you're going to sell the data anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a change in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could also be that these are the same people, the same kinds of people, the same group of people that are out there. They're changing their business models. They're moving away from ransomware to something that lets them do crypto scamming. Because that's, I, you know, I, as many tools as we have out there for blockchain tracing, 
I, I still think that moving money around uh, cryptocurrency blockchains and putting them into anonymizing blockchains like, like uh, Monero or, or Zcash or Bitcoin Z, those all have the, the capability of anonymizing the transactions with varying degrees of, of security. Yeah. But uh, I, think it's, I think that's still a great way to launder money from the criminal perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Is just jumping them around. Yeah. All right. Well, again, uh, this is over on the Bitdefender blog. Uh, Graham Cluley wrote it, and it's titled FBI Reveals That More Money Is Lost to Investment Fraud Than Ransomware and Business Email Compromise Combined. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, Proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Joe was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.